0: Over the past several weeks in the month of January, we have been looking at several first moments in the life of Jesus. Um, we started, if you remember, with his first birthday party when the wise men come and bring him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, we looked at stories such as his first public appearance at the baptism in the River Jordan by his cousin John. We looked at a first miracle he performed at a wedding in Cana. Last week, we looked at the first sermon he gives in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth. And if you were here last week, I told you that I was only going to focus on half of the story, the good half, so to speak, because just a few moments after his first sermon, we come to perhaps his first failure as the people respond to what they hear and try to kill him. Now, I've had some bad sermons in my day, but not as of yet have I been... Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes today. (laughs) If you do recall, the first sermon he gives is a sermon based off of the prophet Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release of the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at first, the people are amazed. Is this not Joseph's son? Where did he get this authority and this power? They are excited because, remember, the year of the Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus has announced from the prophet Isaiah, is one of celebration, in which the people are reminded of God's liberating power, freedom from debt, freedom from oppression, freedom from servitude, freedom for life in the promised land that God has promised for the people of God the people of Israel and Jesus who they have begun to hear is a healer and teacher has come home to proclaim the good news to proclaim the gospel message perhaps even to begin healing in Nazareth like he's done in Capernaum and Jesus like a preacher who doesn't know when to quit the sermon says one more thing. Oh, I'm not talking about y'all. He says, doubtless you will claim the prophecy, physician, cure thyself. He says, I know what you're thinking, good folks of Nazareth, that God has come for you and you only. That all that we have been waiting for is fulfilled in your hearing, and it's just for you. But, friends, I have to tell you something. God has been working far beyond just us for many years. And he does a typical preacher thing. He references two Old Testament stories as if we all know them, right? I know I've done this from time to time, and I'm sorry. I'll say, oh, that's just like uh, Elisha and the prophets of Baal, don't you know? And everyone nods their head like they know. So I know all of you know, but there are people who will listen to this recording later who aren't going to know. So I'm talking to them for a second, but all you good folk know these stories, right? He says, it's just like the time when the prophet Elijah, in the midst of a famine that was striking the whole land, not just Israel, but a famine in the whole region, And he says, people of Nazareth, do you remember when that famine in the Old Testament that we read, that that famine was striking the whole region and there were widows hungry in Israel. And the prophet of God, Elijah, was sent not to the widows of Israel, but to a foreign woman in Zarephath of Sidon. A widow woman who did not know Yahweh, who did not know the rites and rituals of Israel, who did not sacrifice at the temple, one whom you think God would not care one fig about, Elijah goes to her and feeds her and blesses her. And then the story of Elijah his successor who you remember when people are in need of healing and there were many people in need of healing in Israel but Elijah sent to heal Naaman the Syrian a general of a foreign army And Jesus brings up these stories as a way of letting the people of Nazareth know that God's love and care is so much larger than one people, one village, one community, one nation. That God's love and care, and God's prophets, and God's word is for everyone. And their response is to haul him out of the synagogue catch hold of his robe drag him through the streets of nazareth out to the edge of town to a little high place on the side of a hill to a cliff where they're going to throw him off why do you think that why do you think they are so angry at what they have heard. Part of it is they heard what they knew all along and didn't really want to be reminded of. That just because they had a special place in Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, that that didn't give them any more special place in the kingdom of God. Now for us, all the way over here in Mississippi, we think, sure, yeah, God's the God of Mississippi and the God of Nazareth and the God of Brandon and the God of Pearl, I mean, you know. But to this people in this time period, they believed that Israel, because God had chosen Israel to be a blessing to the nations, that they had first dibs and perhaps solo dibs on God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus was reminding them that while God loved Israel, God also loved all of the world. And that while Israel had a special responsibility, that that did not mean they were the only ones who would benefit. Now again, I know that we've gotten past that the idea that we're the only ones God truly loves. But for those who perhaps still struggle from time to time, wondering if there are others that God loves and forgives and wants to be in ministry and relationship with, it's good to be reminded by Jesus that God hasn't changed his mind, but that we have forgotten how expansive God's love truly is. Of course, that's just one reason why they're mad. Another reason why they're mad is because Jesus has told some stories about people getting healing that maybe didn't deserve it. Naaman's not a great guy. Naaman's a general in a foreign army. Can you imagine God healing people who are bent on Israel's destruction? Now, Naaman's story gets better in the end, but at that moment, the people are reminded that people get forgiven who don't deserve it. Do you know that? People get forgiven who don't deserve it? And the people of Nazareth that day, they don't want to be reminded of that. We like to think bad people get what they deserve, and good people always get blessings. And that sounds nice, but it doesn't sound true, does it? Because the truth of the matter is, bad people sometimes get good things, and good people sometimes have bad days. And God seems not to be a respecter of persons when it comes to those to whom He desires to forgive and desire to love, and desire to be in relationship with. The people of Nazareth are reminded that day that God forgives people who don't deserve it, which means there's good news for the people of Nazareth if they can only hear that. But of course, they don't think they need forgiveness, and so they're angry. And so they drag Jesus out and decide to kill him. Of course then, you know what happens next. Pastor Mike read the story. Jesus passes in the midst of them and escapes. Now, a lot of people point this out as some sort of miraculous um, uh, uh, disappearing act. As if Jesus can simply say, poof, I'm gone. I think it's much more natural and this is what I mean by this I think people can be blinded by rage whose anger and fear can literally keep their eyes closed and in so doing Jesus escapes easily You can imagine in the fervor of the mob and the mentality that they're going to do this, people are shoving and pushing, and all of a sudden, who's got Jesus? Who's got Him? No one's got Him? Where'd He go? Now, I could tell countless stories of how I've gotten upset and mad and misplaced things and then blamed other people for it. Or how my perfectly reasoned argument sounds foolish in the midst of anger. How things that seem so clear to me don't make sense to other people because my fear and my anger and my disappointment clouds my good vision. And I think that's what happens this day in Nazareth. The people have been reminded that God loves everyone. The people have been reminded that God will forgive anyone who needs or asks and that they don't have a special hold on God's love, that it's much more boundless than we can ever imagine. And in their frustration and their fear and their anger, even their anger at themselves blinds them to the living Lord in their midst and they miss Him. I think this can happen to the church in any age. When our anger and our desire to be special and the only ones God loves, that we can miss Jesus in our midst. So this morning, we're invited to gather around a table. A table that Jesus sets for all. To remind us of a meal he shared with his closest disciples, even a disciple who had decided to betray him. A disciple whose anger and whose frustration clouds his own judgment. And Jesus offers bread to all forgiveness to all love and healing to everyone and you may think there are those who might come to the table and don't deserve it you may think you're one of those people who don't deserve to come to this table. For all of us, though, we hear the words of Christ that forgives us even in the midst of our brokenness and sin, who loves us in spite of all that we have done, The miracle is that Jesus is here this morning. And I hope you keep your eyes open and don't miss the fact that he's here. Will you stay by the cliff, angry and bitter and upset? or will you lift your eyes to see Jesus walking ahead of us, bidding us to follow Him to a life that never ends, a life of love and forgiveness, a life that leads to a world of peace, mercy, and love? Amen.